This podcast may contain disturbing content for some listeners. It's intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. This is True Crime XS. Where Unrelated actually started was in Green Level, North Carolina. And the deeper we dug in that area, the more we found that the shooting of Barney Dale Harris was not the first shooting in that area. On August 16th at around 12.55 a.m., deputies responded to a shooting at a home on the 2200 block of James Boswell Road in Green Level. They believed that 24-year-old Christopher Tyrick Gaddis of Green Level was trying to leave a home when he was shot. Gaddis was taken to a hospital where he died a short time later. On a Saturday in December, deputies responded to a report that a suspect named Lloyd Carvin Gillis was at a home on South Adele Avenue in DeLand, Florida. And Alamance County deputies had identified the suspect in the shooting as Gillis. So Volusia County deputies surrounded the house where they believed that Gillis would be located and spoke with people inside. Gillis was there and initially told deputies that his name was Corey Gillis, but a fingerprint scan indicated that 91% probability showed that he was Lloyd Gillis, and they were able to identify him, as you can hear here in the arrest body cam video and audio. I just got flagged down. Some dude with a murder warrant is in Twins' house right now, and he's got a zero. Uh, Lamont something. Just for now. Make them all as quick as they go on, all right? Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. It ain't even done yet. Hold on. Relax, relax. Relax. No one says he's going anywhere. He's going to sit back down. He ain't going nowhere. Sit back down. Well, I can... No one said he's going anywhere. He's just here. Uh oh, he didn't come up yet. Hey, look under his shirt on his chest. See if his tattoo's covered in. See if his chest is covered in tattoos. Yeah, it's got it. I don't know if it's coming. Picture of Lloyd, not Corey. That ain't him. I'm gonna go look at his tattoos and tell you in a minute. The tattoos he got on his chest. That looks like you, doesn't it? Yeah. That's that's Lloyd from North Carolina. Huh? That's him. First degree murder. Can I give him a hug? Yep. Hey, Mike. Hey, Dave, I'm looking at uh, a picture on, like, the news that they post about him up there, but it's just a facial shot. Oh, perfect. 
Yeah. Let's see here. And I've got I've got more if you need them, but I just Good to go. Yeah. Yeah, we are we got him. They were able to identify him by the tattoos on his chest. He was charged with giving a false name upon being detained, resisting without violence, and upon arresting him, deputies found 29 grams of what they suspected was heroin, a small amount of MDMA, a gun box, 37 rounds of 380 ammunition, and one empty magazine. So he was served warrants from Alamance County for first-degree murder, possession of a firearm by a convicted felon, violation of parole out of Alamance County, and possession of MDMA. The suspected heroin was submitted for testing, but once again, this is out of Green Level, North Carolina. And this is this week's Unrelated. Starting in 2008, a hit American reality TV show began to air on TLC, and it aired there until it was canceled in 2015. This show is called 19 Kids and Counting. 19 Kids and Counting is about a family called the Duggars who live in Tontatown, Arkansas, which is a small town near Springdale, Arkansas. Now, Tontatown, Arkansas is in Washington County. It's located in the Ozark Mountains, and it was founded there in 1898. The population of Tontatown is around five or 6,000 people. Springdale, Arkansas, nearby, uh, also in the Ozarks, has a population of around 69 to 75,000 people, depending on the time of year. Some estimates showed it as high as 90,000, but that seemed to rely on some factors related to Washington and Benton counties. Um, it is It is straddling the two counties there. It's considered the fourth largest city in Arkansas. It was originally named Shiloh when it was founded, but is now it is now known as Springdale. There have been a series of controversies surrounding this reality television show. The premise of this show focuses on the life of a family called the Duggar family. And the Duggar family are devout Baptists. And the show frequently discusses their values of purity, modesty, and faith in God. They also avoid birth control, saying that they have decided to allow God to determine the number of children they have. All of the children on the show are homeschooled, and they have limited access to entertainment and social activities. This show is, it has gotten a, a lot of viewers. It averages over 2 million views Per episode. And it went for a long time. Technically, it sort of spun off into new shows. And some of those new shows are still on the air. This past week, one of the family members who had a previous controversy has now gotten wrapped up in a more serious controversy. Back in May of 2015, there was a police report that was leaked to a couple of magazines. And in this police report, it references sexual molestation allegations against the oldest son, a guy named Josh Duggar. 
So the report that was leaked stated that in 2002 and 2003, when Josh was roughly 14 and a half to 15 years old, that he was fondling girls, including four of his sisters and another girl on multiple occasions. These events happened before they started filming the reality show. The case was never fully investigated, and the statute of limitations had a weird quirk in it. Technically, it is now expired, although it would not have. But basically, the family went and spoke to a trusted police officer. And the way that it works in Arkansas when you have crimes like this is once it's reported to police, a clock begins to toll on it. And that statute of limitations has run out in in the way that, that all of this went forward because it's stuff that happened in pre-2006 being reported and a police report shows up in 2006 and then it's not really talked about until 2015. As this controversy came out, multiple advertisers, huge advertisers for the show, they pulled out, uh, pulled their ads from the show. There's lots of petitions flying around. And ultimately, the, the show is sort of removed for a period of time from streaming services. The public reaction to it all, it sort of forced the family to interact on, on what had happened there. So they responded to it all by having Josh, who's now married, and his wife, and the parents of the Duggar family, uh, they apologize. Josh had been part of the Family Research Council, and he resigned his position there. He apologized for his inexcusable actions. His wife, her name was Anna, and Anna stated that she knew about the actions two years before she was married to him, and she believed that counseling he had received after these incidents had, had made him a changed man and had made it okay for her to marry him. The Duggars described this as, a dark period in their lives that caused them to come together under their faith. And they've given multiple interviews to conservative outlets about this controversy. In April, about a week ago, there's been some building controversy with Josh Duggar. Josh has had a couple of his various businesses raided by federal agents, specifically agents from Homeland Security, who really only deal with a a couple of topics. And he was arrested on April 29th, which is six years after the show was canceled, six years after that molestation controversy. Josh is arrested, and he's arrested for possession of child pornography. What's so interesting about this is where they live. Meg and I have been covering with unrelated, ongoing topics related to organized crime. And... One of the things we are seriously examining for future episodes is how human trafficking comes to be a part of organized crime. Now, why that's so interesting and how it's related here is we ran across an anomaly while we were looking at Arkansas. Specifically, we were looking for missing persons in Arkansas. The biggest drug threat to Arkansans, methamphetamine. And we're not talking about what some may imagine, low-level dealers getting busted in a trailer. Turns out most of the meth being trafficked in and out of this state is being made in Mexico. So what exactly are they doing to stop this? Disrupting daily operations. On 
On any given day, at least 100 pounds of methamphetamine can be found throughout the natural state. It's the biggest threat to Arkansans, and most of it is coming from Mexico. This is Mexican-made from uh, predominantly the two cartels in Mexico, which would be the Sinaloa cartel and uh, CJNG, which is the new generation cartel. Um, Both of them... uh, They flood the United States. Assistant Special Agent in charge of the DEA Little Rock office, Justin King, tells KATV over the last year, Operation Crystal Shield has targeted Mexican drug cartels. Just on those cases targeting those organizations, we've had over 70 federal indictments, seized well over 100 pounds of methamphetamine, even through the crisis. So it, uh, it just shows you that even when things slowed down, the methamphetamine still flowed. Pushing high-quality product and lowering the price by flooding the market. King says drug cartels have continued to evolve. Our investigations have to constantly um, be able to adapt to new technology, new methods of transportation, um, new drugs on the street, new lingo people on the street are using for it. And so, um, you know, we've seen everything from drugs being sold and Bitcoin. We continuously work investigations where we realize we're a transshipment point for other destinations. Arkansas, having the the larger rural area, uh, allows for a lot of stuff to be brought in and more in places aren't as populated where things can be hidden. The DEA's main goal is to disrupt the flow of drugs, but also take as many weapons off the street. We see guns um, in almost every uh, organization we're in nowadays. We see um, a high, high volume of guns in Arkansas. Since 2017, U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District of Arkansas, Cody Highland, has tried over 2,200 drug cases, with a vast majority resulting in convictions. And one of their biggest challenges, fear. It's a a real problem. Uh, Mexican cartels are infamous, and they've, they've earned their reputation for being ruthless. And so... Is the fear of the justice system here greater than the fear of being, you know, tortured in Mexico? And so that's that's the biggest challenge that I see. Highland tells KTV while they will never take out every single drug trafficking organization, disruption is the goal. Our job is to meet them every day and to make sure that we take as many of the pushers and the people delivering this this these toxic chemicals to our people off the streets. And, you know, again, you'll never eliminate it. But our job is to make sure that we meet them in battle every day. If you would like to submit a tip to the DEA, you can head to this story on KTV.com for a link. And as always, you can remain anonymous. Beth? I'm trying to get something together for Unrelated this week, but I don't think it's going to be this week. I think it's going to be next week. Because... That's right. So... Um, I want to... I can... I have some stuff for it, so... You have stuff for Unrelated? Yeah. What do you have? I'm going to talk about the new suspect. Oh, and you guys, you guys had already decided he was a suspect. Like the you, like this, he came up. I told and then he you. That no, I, I know nothing about this part. That's why I'm at. That's what I'm saying. Um, I well, do you remember? He's got a very unique name. I I know who he is. I okay, knew he was a suspect, said, but I'm saying I learned I it from you. At first, right, and I was like, well, they should have talked to me like a week earlier. I said I thought the guy that was arrested was him. 
Oh yeah, because he the the I original thought, arrest is that it, him, and then it wasn't him; it was somebody else. I was like, oh, whatever. And then, but I was like, they they need to be looking for him. And then I heard from an acquaintance of mine who said, yeah, like they can't find him. I was right; my instinct was right about that. Well, when I heard about the, there were a couple of different standoffs going on in North Carolina of all places. I thought. I wonder if he's in on that because I don't think that that one, that's what, that's why I realized that that's why we spent all that time looking at the, it absolutely <laughs> was. Cause I looked at that and I was like, maybe he went West, but the truth is I think that guy that I think both the guys that they're looking for there are long gone. Well, yeah. The one guy is back in Mexico. I, I, I don't know that that's been confirmed, but there was pretty good information on that. And then the other guy, so another thing that, you know, I'll talk about that's unrelated is I have it on fairly good authority, not completely verifiable and, you know, substantive, (laughs) but I, something along the lines of what I said is, uh, if the truth were to be told, is going to be what ended up happening. Yeah, I'm starting to agree with you. And I, so because Unrelated is going to be able to keep looking at different elements of organized crime, I think I'm, I'm going to go to the location on this one and look um, around. I don't know if you noticed or not, but um, Bertha, the, uh, there's a man in custody that was Barney Harris's brother-in-law, and then there's a... Uh, a man that is a suspect who's been, he's not just a suspect, he's been charged and there's warrants issued for his arrest and he's been charged with first degree murder, not felony murder, first degree murder. Yeah. I figured that came from the other guy talking, right? I don't know. I, I'm interested to know, like, I, I actually thought it was probably from some sort of ballistics being that uh, the sheriff was very clear that, the young man who was shot in the back of the head execution style was shot twice in the back of the head execution style. And that lends itself to two people shooting him. Right. I mean, it could be one person, but it could be a double tap, but like it could be two people. Okay. But, um, and so in North Carolina, uh, which is where this occurred, there's the felony murder law, which is basically, or I guess rule. It's basically just if he, if somebody dies when while somebody is in doing a felony, right? It, it doesn't have to be a murder. It could be any sort of felony. If somebody loses their life, you can be charged with felony murder and it carries a life sentence with it. That is correct. And it- so... I just want to point out the brother-in-law has been charged with both first degree murder and felony murder. And the new, the new person has been uh, charged with first degree murder and he hasn't been charged with felony murder yet, but I think there might be another charge, but the most important charge is first degree murder. Um, They, they released that. I can tell you right now, I know, and I'm not a criminal, believe it or not, (laughs) but if I knew I had an arrest warrant for for first-degree murder, uh, they'd never find me. I mean, he's going away forever. Well, once he gets picked up, there'll be no bond. And the only thing, the only reason he's able to, you know, not be in custody is he's either dead 
And that could have happened from a variety of things or it's because of the county situation, because it's he lives in a different county than where it happened. And it's not the same county as anybody else lived in. And yeah, I couldn't track down a good like his address that I could find for him most recently was very far away from where I thought it would be. And it had nothing to do with where it occurred or where any of the other people live. He was like a fifth county or in a sixth county were getting involved that might be how he's able to hold out but i mean they're gonna start he's gonna get added to the violent criminals task force pretty quickly and those guys are pretty good at their job because the the u.s marshals get involved and once they get involved with the locals they really do a lot of work with phones and with like geofencing so i don't think he'll survive that very long you know, I don't know. I, I I do know this person. I don't know the the brother-in-law that was arrested, but I do know this person. And like we talked about just a few minutes ago, um, I actually said, hey, where is this person? Yeah, uh, you brought up his happened. name. You and one other person brought up his name. Like as soon as this all happened, uh, even before we covered the first episode, we were talking about. Well, I thought it was I thought it was the person who was arrested. Right, but th- and I guess you see the resemblance now. I mean, it's not it's not a whole lot, but um, well, they're two different complected people, but they look very. They have some of the same features. Well, and it was just a glance. I haven't seen that guy since high school, so I mean, <laughs> what I, he looks exactly the same, honestly. Um, even the black eye, really. Um, but so when I saw it. I'm just amazed like that, you know, I feel it's funny that his name is so unique that everybody I told remembers that I said it, right? Yeah. (laughs) Because I'm like, where is he? And then for him to end up being caught up in this. Now, uh, this probably will, you'll probably have to cut it, but um, I think it's possible that um, Barney really did go to translate. Uh, Yeah, now that I'm starting to see a fuller picture. He probably knew that it was a little dangerous, right? Um, not like gun dangerous, but just in case, wear this bulletproof vest. Well, who and has a bulletproof vest I don't these know. days? I don't know. What I'm getting at is I think uh, the reason I can imagine when they killed the kid that I bet Barney lost it. Like, he was probably like, I did not sign up for this. I can't believe I'm here. What the hell? Because, you know, he was found in a bedroom. I'm concerned that they're going to come out and say that it was that killed Barney. Um, I don't think I would be super surprised at anything they said at this point. The guy I'm that we're talking about. I'm concerned because it's sad. Well, the guy that we're referencing here is another suspect that's wanted in the Barneydale Harris shootout with what was described by law enforcement as an old Western shootout with a Mexican cartel. We've sort of been dissecting that as we go. Um, and I they added, I, I don't uh, know if I want to release his name or not. We haven't said the other guy's name, have we? Yeah. Yeah. We, we said everybody's names. We haven't on here. We have, we haven't named the brother-in-law. I mean, it's been, Oh named. no. I mean, it was in the, it was in the press conference, though. Yeah, I know, but we okay. Well, we, we can leave this out. Anyway, there's another suspect that you they can started. Say it if you want. I don't have a hard pass rule on this. So interesting 
thing related to the Barneydale Harris case. And this comes from your side of things, which you've gotten a number of, you've, you've started a number of conversations about this. And I don't know how far I want to go into that because I'm trying to avoid using names that aren't necessarily publicized so far. But yeah. I have a, okay, so my first question is Barney has a possession ticket in Oklahoma from last year. And it it was dismissed. I'm only mentioning it because now it's sort of out in the media a little bit. Uh, was it dismissed or because it went that that was the ticket that went away like on leave like April sixteenth, yeah, oh, after he died, yeah, April sixteenth. It was dismissed. Yeah, you're right. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, so there's an attorney out there, and there's a bunch of there's a basically he got pulled by a uh, highway patrolman who issued him a ticket. And then was it wasn't it uh, just paraphernalia? Yes, this is a possession of paraphernalia is what this is. That would be anything that you could potentially use to do drugs with. Pretty much. I mean, it's it's actually like this. There's a mention in here that there's marijuana residue. Now, did you find something about it? Yeah, well, uh, I'm working something out right now. And that's why I called. That's why I set this up. Because so that can be something as simple as a baggie or a pipe or uh, I mean, it it can be literally anything that has uh, a roach. Yeah, it could be. Well, (laughs) a roach is typically typically that's written up a little differently. This is probably something that just has like the smell or like a couple of flakes in the bag or a couple of flakes in the pipe or whatever, even on, on a screen. Um, I was curious about how has anyone in the in the conversations that are going on has anyone mentioned what he was doing in Oklahoma? Because I knew something that I'm not going to share about Oklahoma. Yeah. Oh well, then you don't have to share it yet. Okay, so I'll tell you, but I don't want to do it on the show because <laughs> um, um, I don't have super. I'm sorry, I messed everything up, didn't I? <laughs> well, no, 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 leave this alone. This is fine. I Okay, so I started tracking where there might be actual runners for the cartel. Mm-hmm. Just keep in mind that this... my stance on the cartel stands as far as as soon as it comes into the United States, there may be connections, but the power I... of the cartel is not behind them. I tend to agree with you in almost all situations. And I think, I think you're correct. Here's the thing about Barney's case that is messing with me right now. So it looks like when I go digging and I'm not going to, I'm not going to say super specific here for now, when I go digging, it looks like these two kids that were tied to the Alamance County, North Carolina stash house are part of a former cartel that is rising again. Oh, uh, really? And I, yeah, yeah. So, uh-huh. so yeah, th- this is tied back to the Beltran Leva cartel. And now that cartel, technically, the BLO doesn't exist anymore. The CBL, BLO, like depending on what you read, you get different, different information about it. Cause I mean, it's the cartel. It's, it's sort of, uh, 
it's not really going to be straight up information unless you're inside it and they're never going to let you leave without information. That's, that's the bottom Everything line. Everything is myth and legend or possibly. Right. So the cartel, this cartel, this branch of organized crime, this syndicate, whatever you want to call it, uh, it looks like it went away in 2014 with the arrest of one of its leaders. However, I saw that. Yeah. I'm hunting information where this cartel seems to have sort of hooked up with some U.S. organized crime in the middle of the country. And and it's not clear to me. Go ahead. I'm sorry. You go ahead. Well, it's not clear to me yet, like, how these people are involved. But one of these kids ties back directly to these people. Well, that's what I mean when I say, like, um, somebody is fronting a buy and... Because the, the cartel and its forces aren't going to be in the United States, is what I'm saying. It doesn't mean that, like, and people who aren't, like, main people, they may think that they are actually part of the cartel. Like, I'm for, it's from a standpoint of the lawlessness that, uh, that's where I'm coming from. As far as, like, it, we don't have any real cartel experiences here in the United States. That doesn't mean that people don't feel like they're part of it and they're like working for them. I'm just sure that some of those middle American organized crime rings, they're the ones that are going to come after you if you steal money and drugs. It's not the Mexican cartel. It's the people in the United States that are getting the drugs from them. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. But hear me out on this for just a second. I will. If and there's a different thing I want to talk about that's from your side of things. But but this side, I am curious if this was not reestablishing territory and what these guys stepped into, meaning the non-Hispanic gentlemen related to this. What I, I'm wondering if what they stepped into was not some kind of syndicate disruption being done by two different facets of organized crime. And, and what I mean there is, what if some of these young kids that were over here were guarding something that wasn't typical distribution? And by not by atypical distribution, what I mean is, what if these guys stepped into it? territory dispute or an organized crime coup, so to speak, meaning one cartel was supplying at the border or ever how they were supplying an organized crime faction that is unrelated to the people that were involved in the Alamance County shootout. And somehow these guys getting wind of it was part of that disruption. That's my first question. My my second question that I'm hunting down the information on is what the hell was Barney Dale Harris doing in Oklahoma? Because where I'm looking right now for this disruption, uh, this would have started about a year ago in the middle of Arkansas. And in order to get from North Carolina to Oklahoma, you have to pass through Arkansas. So that's where my, my questions are coming from this week and, and some of the stuff that I'm addressing. The second or th- I guess third 
if, if we count what I just said as, you know, one being the disruption thing, two being the, what was Barney doing in Oklahoma? The third thing that I'm sort of focused in on right now is this. I am trying to picture the type of people, and, and there's a new suspect in this that we, we briefly are, are talking about. We're not naming him here yet because we don't know what is going on there. But, uh, and, and I'm not naming him in the other recorded clips. I'm going to cut his name out. We, I have not yet laid eyes on the autopsy reports related to You had a thought that I'm sort of going to run with here. And that thought was, what if in the disruption of all of this, these guys got wind that some level of stash was going on, whether it's cash or drugs or both. And they decided that someone in this group, possibly the latest suspect, decides that they're going to either out of retaliation or out of uh, sort of a wish fulfillment for some kind of big score, they decided that they're going to rip it off and they, they bring Barney in. This is a, this is the thought that you brought up and now I want to run with for a second. What if Barney being there is to pacify the organized crime syndicate type people that everything that took place there was finished under that roof so there was no one to go looking for? Meaning, barring U.S. law enforcement getting involved and actually hunting for people – the suppliers of the drugs or the people who bought the drugs believe that Barney shot the kid. Barney is dead in there. What if that's what went down? Cause I can see like Barney finding out that uh, the kid had been killed and, and probably losing his shit particularly. And that's just, what I know of him is very little, but a teacher and a coach and a, and a pretty respected member of a community would definitely have a problem with very young people. These kids look young. I mean, their ages are 18 and 19, but they look even younger than that. They are. They are really young. And OK, so from what you just said, that's two different things for me. One of the things being that uh, Barney was invited to participate in something he may or may not have known exactly what was happening. And the plan all along was for him to be left behind uh, as a, a deterrent, I guess, um, a red herring, or I don't know how else you could say it's a, that. He's a decoy. The decoy being he was the one who, who was the problem. Okay, so... That and then the other thing, so to me, it's two situations him being the decoy, and then him uh agreeing to go do something with uh people that he knew very well and it turning into something more, and there being sort of this internal um problem where he did get really aggravated that, uh, like you know, he was like, Do not kill this kid, and so not knowing that was going to happen. And then, so there was an internal struggle with the people, you know, that Barney went there with. Um, so to me, it's two different things. And I, I have thought about this a whole lot <laughs> and I, you know, I, I don't know what happened right now. I am wondering, and, and this is going to be ongoing because I've stepped into something here that's interesting 
I experienced myself in a way that I wouldn't have normally, but what has happened because of that is I've been contacted by a lot of people. Nobody wants to say anything out loud. And so it's like, I'm the one who's going to be saying stuff out loud, apparently, (laughs) which means you're going to be saying stuff out loud. (laughs) Well, that also makes me dig deeper. So, well, right. And maybe it's my naivety, naivety, whatever. Uh, But I'm not afraid of this. I did get a little bit, I felt uneasy about a few things and I was trying to be lighthearted when we talked previously and then I started feeling, uh, when we started talking about um, perhaps Barney was killed by some sort of internal struggle or for, you know, to be a decoy, it started making me really nervous. Yeah. I, so that's the other thing that comes up is where are the rest of the guys that are involved in this based on witness accounts? What what happened to the rest of the people and that so were there? I don't know that I want to put, I don't want to, I yeah. don't want to dangle a carrot. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that's sort of where I'm at with this right now, but I, I can't stop digging into this part of it. So it is interesting. And a lot more, I feel like is going to um, come to light. And, you know, we, I don't know how much you're going to use because everything's changing so quickly. Isn't that interesting? Because we talked about this already. And then we were like, I was like, hold up. (laughs) And so, you know, we're having to re-talk about some stuff. And so it is, it's changing quickly. And so I went from being like, Oh yeah, you know, to wow, hold on. Um, and I, uh, what we, what I had said earlier was the information that I've gotten, like I said, I've been contacted by a lot of people and the information that I'm getting is that my sort of past revered, uh, look at what happened to Barney, uh, that I, taught like just it was right off the cuff like the in our first unrelated episode it was right it was the day after we found out Barney had died in the shootout and uh it's actually seeming like that is going to be a more factual account of what happened now I want to get the actual facts I had an idea of how I might do that and then I, I've now chickened out a little bit, um, just because I'm not entirely sure of all the dynamics, but, you know, I'm open, I'm open to hearing, uh, sides of the story, obviously, but it, it, it's just kind of touchy right now. I, I don't know exactly, um, I don't know how this is going to unfold exactly, well, that's fine. Here's where now I'm going to ask you some stuff you haven't heard about. Okay. Okay. So that's it for, for what I'm doing with Barney Dale Harris, because until I get some confirmation on a couple more things, uh, there's a clip that plays at the beginning of this episode that people will have heard. So they'll get an idea of what I'm doing. This is not the first time something like this has happened recently. And I am still hunting down the best way to present all of this information. I'm just doing it on unrelated in real time because 
right now I went and recorded a few witness interviews. I can't use those yet because I got information I didn't understand yet. And mm-hmm. so once I, I'm going back out there with a, a little better gear and I'm going to have one more round of stuff that I'm going to include you in on. But here's something crazy. All of this seems to lead to Arkansas. And like that is the part that threw me off. And that's why I was asking. That's why I have questions about why did Barney go to Oklahoma last year? And I know we don't exactly have the answers yet where we can share them. I'm working on a different source that is unrelated to your sources. So what is crazy about Arkansas? And this happens sometimes. Like I'll go looking for something sometimes. This, This happened when we were covering Israel Keys. It's happened with the Colorado stuff. I'll go looking for something that is about to be a major story. And I don't even know that it's a major story when I go looking for it. And here's what I mean. The organized crime look that I was taking at Arkansas started multiple weeks ago. What I was looking for there was I wanted to find a link between major drug trafficking centers and human trafficking centers. I wanted to see if organizations on either side were related to each other. And... I haven't proven that they are yet, but then some interesting stuff started happening in the news. Did you ever watch the television show 19 and Counting? No. Okay, I didn't either. I don't watch a lot of reality television. My reality television was pretty much limited to cops. I have the Dugards or whatever. The the Duggards or Dugards. I don't know how you say their name even. Is that who it was? Yeah. Yeah, So Josh... The oldest son, Josh, he's been arrested now for possession of child pornography. He's had several raids since 2019 that have been linked back to him that were Homeland Security related. And I talked about him a little bit by myself at the top of the show. But this is what I want to say to you and see if you find interesting, because you're hearing this for the very first time. Where he was... And where he got arrested in the middle of all this. Guess what fucking city it was? Um, Springdale? Yep. It's Springdale, Arkansas. Really? And so we haven't talked about that yet. This is the first episode that I'm bringing up Springdale, Arkansas. And so the case there for me that is sort of a centerpiece, I guess, for all of it. Um, Because I, I I was really, this sounds crazy, but I was looking for... Where in the United States do meth, methamphetamine distribution on a huge federal level and human trafficking really collide? You sort of helped me along with this sort of blindly, not even knowing what it was that I was looking for. Here's where this all gets interesting for me. Back in 1995, a little girl went missing in Alma, Arkansas. Her name was Morgan Nick. And Morgan Nick, she was six years old. She asked her mom after this Little League baseball game if she could go catch lightning bugs with her friends. And her mom wasn't really cool with it, but she was like, you know what? Go ahead and do that. And this is around 1030 at night on June 9th, 1995. At 1045, the kids playing with Morgan Nick last see her standing near her mom's car and they're all standing around and they've gotten sand in their shoes. So they're dumping their shoes out 
Morgan's friends reported that a creepy man was talking to, to Morgan as she was putting her shoes back on. So the game, the Little League game ends and Morgan's friends come back, but Morgan's not with them. Her mom, Colleen, gets told by these kids that Morgan was at the car. So Colleen goes out to the car and Morgan has not been seen or heard from since. And this case is one of the most interesting cases because it is truly, as it looks evidence-wise, it is truly a whodunit stranger vanishing. Right. And so this is in Crawford County, Arkansas. Well, I wasn't looking at, at Morgan's case, and I've never covered it, and I didn't know much about it. But what I did was I started looking around Arkansas. I was actually looking for drug activity. And for some reason, you went into you went into NamUs. And I had I, I don't know what all we were looking for, but about an hour away from Crawford County, Arkansas, or Alma, Arkansas, where, where Morgan went missing, there's a place called Washington County, Arkansas, and a town there called Springdale, Arkansas, that Springdale is divided between Washington County and I think Benton County. When I glanced at NamUs in that area, I came up with a very large number of children, meaning under the age of 18, who were in NamUs within the last couple of years. And the more I expanded from there, like making my circle bigger and searching the surrounding towns, the bigger it got. I just find it interesting that right now, even though I'm technically chasing what could have happened to Barney Dale Harris and this North Carolina case that a sheriff said was a shootout with a cartel, and I'm sort of tracking it back, I end up in Arkansas at a time when this reality TV show star who sort of errs on the side of all things conservative um, is being arrested for possession of child pornography. One of the other things that's interesting about him is he was accused of molesting several girls in the family and some girls that were friends with girls in the family. And they just happen to also take place in Springdale, Arkansas. That's really weird, don't you think? Uh, well, yeah. Uh, it, so he's in he's in Springdale, Arkansas, and all that stuff happened there. He so the town they live in is not technically Springdale, Arkansas. So the town that they actually live in is Tonta Town. Tonti Town, Arkansas. It's in Washington County. It's there in the Ozarks. This all takes place in the Ozarks, by the way. I'm just asking, like, do you are you familiar with that area at all? Only what's on the series. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm not familiar with the Ozarks. Um, so the uh, the Ozarks, that's a really rural area. Right. And if you like, so they cover, so the mountains known as the Ozarks, they cover like a huge amount of land in Arkansas, Kansas, Missouri, and Oklahoma. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's a pretty big vacation. Not Arkansas. Um, Ozark. 
on the TV show. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I watched a little bit of the TV show. I, I'm not, uh, I don't think, I think I saw season one maybe. Yeah. And I, I sort of got lost cause that was a, but that uh, I'm, if you remember, that is also about drugs, drug trafficking. Yep. So, and uh, there's a <laughs> there's a United States citizen who's not a member of the cartel that fronts those buys. Exactly. Okay. That, <laughs> okay. That make, even though it's not the same exact area that I'm looking in, it's interesting that this like I'm starting to see a lot of similarities. Life imitating art and art imitating life, and in the middle of all this, so For that. Sure. So now, in the course of running down these two things, it seems like they all collide in Arkansas. So what do you think that Barney's connection is with this? I, I, wonder, if, I wonder if he knew someone was... I wonder if the previous incident in Oklahoma was him being along for the ride on somebody who is connected to all this. Um, hmm. This is a group of people that were with Barney Dale Harris. It's at least two others, probably more than that. The idea that I have there is that there was this kid I used to know. He was very young, around 18 uh, at the time that he got into his first really big bit of trouble. And he wrote me a letter to explain to me his trouble. And in that letter, he talked to me about going to Arkansas to make money. And I genuinely don't think this kid knew what he was into. I think that he was going along for the ride with some slightly older people around him. And I think that they were headed there to pick up large amounts of different types of drugs and transport them in a way that like, it didn't seem like they were transporting them. Well, I, I think that, um, what you're saying is while it may seem like it would be unbelievable that you would be in the middle of, you know, crap city and not realize it. Um, I think, I don't think that like when you start working, in this type of industry, I don't think they sit you down and go over all the rules. I think you just, you know, you're looking to make some cash. And uh, my understanding is you can make quite a bit of cash doing uh, this type of thing. And it's the, it's the, um, the jobs where you don't really know what you're doing. You just do it and you can make, you know, you make bank from it. And so I believe that. I believe that somebody could be like going along with, especially if you know people and your friends and they say, hey, you need some extra cash. Let's do this, right? I feel like while we can sit on the outside of things and say, oh, they had to have known what they were doing, I think that we all get to different points in our lives where we, you know, I mean, there's lines, but you know, you would do stuff and not ask questions to make some money sometimes. Everybody's been there. That was exactly the situation this kid was in. This kid had been a genuinely good kid. He had a couple of friends who, and I'm going to call him Dave. That's not his real name, but Dave had a couple of friends who were like a little, 
like it, they weren't bad kids, but they were like the, the, the class clowns and the troublemakers of the group. And they literally found themselves in a situation one spring break where somebody said to them, if you guys want to make some cash, give me a call. And they, a couple months later, summertime rolled around, they were bored, and this kid was sort of drawn into it because one of those friends gave the guy a call. And he said, listen, you want to make some money? This is how much money you can make. Don't ask questions. This is what you're doing. And essentially what they were doing was driving a car from point A to point B. That was it. That was the gist of what they were doing. Right, and don't ask questions. Yeah, Yep. And that's, so that's the situation. And now all of these kids that were involved were between 17 and 21. So there were four kids. I only knew one of them. I had met the others, but I don't, I didn't know them. I wasn't acquainted with them. And I had reached out to him. They got in a shit ton of trouble all at one time. Like you couldn't even imagine how much trouble they got into. And, you know, I had known this kid's parents and I I knew the families involved. I, I knew the families more than I knew the other kids, but essentially in the middle of all that, they didn't ask questions. And I think one or two of the older kids knew, and I say kid, there was a 21 year old involved that I'm positive knew what was going on. He just decided not to fill anybody else in on it. But the other kids were just along for the ride because somebody said, Hey, like, let's take a road trip. And I'm going to give you, it was thousands and thousands of dollars these kids were making. So they knew something was up. They just didn't know what. They were bearing the risk. I mean. Right. But they kept them clueless on purpose. Well, I was going to say, there is a reason why people are like, let's go on a road trip when they're sucking people in. It's because they know if they tell their friends this is what's happening, that they won't do it. This is fascinating to me. This whole thing is fascinating fascinating to me they haven't caught him yet have they the yeah. other suspect mm-hmm. um, um i don't i keep wondering if he will turn up in another country um one way or the other i have a lot of i have so much um i i don't know i don't know if i i don't even know what i'd want to happen um I am very concerned. Um, not, I, I, I don't believe that this person is, if he's still kicking, uh, they're, they must not be looking really hard, I guess is the best way to say it. Because I don't, I just don't see this person as somebody who's got, you know, mad skills to stay under the radar. And in the event that, I'm concerned that this person is dead and that's why they haven't been found. That would suck, but it would mean he didn't kill Barney. <laughs> yeah. I, that's sort of, that's sort of exactly where I'm at with like all of this right now. I, I'm really just, I am wondering like when will, I don't know. I don't know what the word would be. I'm wondering if there will ever be resolution in this case. And like, so my, my goal was I was going to start looking for basically unidentified remains in different places I could think of that had just popped up. Um, I like right now in the time period that I, I was looking for my, my, my options weren't great for what I was looking for. Uh, like 
there, there weren't a lot of unidentified remains that had, have just started popping up. And I'm not so sure like how that would work. And I'm not so sure that I was thinking about this. If I had say 50,000 or a hundred thousand dollars, hot money, got to go, got to hide me personally. If I was having to make that decision, I think Mexico is where I would go. But in this situation, I don't think that's possible. Well, I don't. He he had a he had like two weeks. But I mean, I don't think that's the place that he would go. No, I'm saying, yeah, people say Mexico because you can cross the border without having to get on the airplane. That's the whole thing there. He had two whole weeks, so he could have been anywhere. He's on an island. I mean, yeah, because he wasn't being looked for. Not at first, no. Or at least it wasn't announced. I'm wondering, so my guess, as we wrap this part of this up, my guess is they found something hinky in the autopsy report that is a holdback for now and will show up later. My guess is the ammunition doesn't match or it does match. So the person that killed the kid also killed Barney. Or What 18-year-old has ammunition... That goes through a... Well, that's what I'm saying about this other side of it, this disruptor theory. One criminal organization taking over for... Like, so think this way. Think there's a there's a cartel organization set up in the U.S. that's technically a U.S. organization. They're not related to the cartel. Think like Ozark, but they're funded by the cartel, right? What if those organizations were changing hands here and these kids were brought in to coordinate some of that because the kids were essentially disposable. Thanks for joining us. You can reach us at 252-365-5593 or at truecrimexcess.com or truecrimexcess at gmail.com if you want to send us a note. This episode was brought to you by labrotticreations.com. That's L-A-B-R-O-T-T-I-E-C-R-E-A-T-I-O-N-S.com. Check out the merchandise and specifically their fun pop pet art custom pieces made from photos of your very own pets. Use the promo code CRIMEXS, that's C-R-I-M-E-X-S, for 20% off a fun, brightly colored, happy piece of art of your own pet at their site. AbradiCreations.com. Music in this episode was licensed for True Crime Excess. The theme song was Indestructible by Noah Smith. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform or at T Public, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also join us on Patreon to fund future body exploration trips. But the best thing you can do for us is leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform and share us with your friends. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>
one circling the drain, both Burbank officers. This stuff doesn't happen in the city of Burbank. What started as the murder of my son got bigger and bigger and bigger. They had a direct pipeline source to a super lab from Mexico. Rival drug cartels have waged a deadly Victims war. suffered violent deaths. At Twelve more dead bodies found today. Influence and money, they've got it all. But it was shocking to me that someone at the top of city government was swept up in the investigation. A lot of people watched The Wire, but we lived it. David Morris of Michigan City is charged with felony murder, burglary, and auto theft in the death of 65-year-old Lafracio Ortega. Police found his body inside his business. One man is seen pulling a gun on a 31-year-old named Richard Cepeda inside the lobby. A second man punches Cepeda in the face as he tries to run away from the building. The man with the gun then fires shots as the victim runs away. Cepeda was pronounced dead at the hospital. It all happened Thursday around 9.30 p.m. So far, no arrests. 14-year-old boy shot her, and an 18-year-old, Nashawn Johnson, he was driving the car. Now, police have not said if the shooting was random or if the teens knew the victim. Pamela Cabrillales was found shot in her car. She later died from her injuries. With Williams no longer under the court's watch, now accused of stabbing and killing store clerk Olga Calderon, raising more than $66,000 from the mother of two. It is so sad because she is so sweet.